about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. Welcome guys, I don't know if you can hear it, but we are on the beautiful rooftop of the Worst Gig Ever Studios here. Remote location. Remote location, a gorgeous summer day. I mean, this is, this is fantastic, it's inspiring. You can see an entire view. Uh, you can see a great view of the Manhattan skyline here. I mean, I just wanna, I wanna just run and jump and, and kiss that view. City we live in, it's just magical. It it's is. magical, Mike. Oh, Mike Pace here. And oh, Mike uh, Pace, I'm uh, Jeff Garlock. That's right. Welcome to Worst Gig Ever. We have a fantastic show today. We have uh, uh, UCB staple Chris Gethard on the program today. Yeah, Chris uh, is a former UCB. Uh, he does the uh, very popular uh, Chris Gethard view. show. Yeah, yeah, uh, Chris Gethard show. On MNN. Uh, 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 and Public Access. Yes. Uh, he just got adopted by IFC. He's got a book out called A Bad Thing I Am I'm About, about to, to Do. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's he's great. We talk about his punk rock roots. Growing up in New Jersey, a lot of, a lot of talk about pop punk, a lot of talk about uh, failing and getting through failure and just sticking to your guns. It's 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 actually a fantastic episode. It's fantastic. You know what else is fantastic? Jeff, I mean this view. Yeah, it I is. cannot it's, it's wait, you gotta amazing. take a look at it. No, yes. Mike. Wait, no, no, look, you can, I can literally touch yeah, the I, Empire Yeah, okay, I'm Mike, you're a little, you're a little close no, to the ledge. I'll be fine. Just relax. Yeah, yeah, uh, Mike, like, can you just come back here? No, yeah. I'm, I'm fine here. You, you come back here. I'm going to be fine. No, no, Mike, please, you're, you're freaking me out. You're stressing me out. It's fine. We're fine. We're fine. I'm king of the world. Mike, please. Oh, what a feeling. No, no, no. Hey, Jeff, I'm the king of the world. Look, I'm jumping on the ledge, just like the king would do. No, stop looking. Yeah, stop. No, Mike. I'm, Mike. Jeff, no. Wait, Mike. No, God. Jeff. No. no God, Jeff. No. No. God, Mike. Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen. Sorry to say that we, we just lost Mike Pace. He looked too close. Fell off the ledge, so... Terrible day here at Worst Gig Ever Studios. So, if, if you want to send your condolences, uh, send those to worstgigever at gmail.com. Any uh, heartfelt messages you want to send to me for my loss, you can uh, probably send them to worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com or go subscribe to us, iTunes, or just leave a comment how much you loved and missed Mike Pace. Well, we got to go on, though, so let's listen to Chris Gethards on Worst Gig Ever. Queen qualifies having some some prog leanings. Queen does oh, have yeah, some prog absolutely. leanings, definitely. Like I think, especially like I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody even has like a structure kind of of prog stuff. Oh, yeah. But like you know, you get into like Ogre Battle and like oh, the song. earlier yeah, stuff. That song, like, but, but I think Queen in a lot of ways supersedes 
a lot of the other problems yeah. because they did yeah, so, they did so much like yeah they, like I, I in fact if you've seen on Netflix they have the like making of uh, a it's Night at the Opera or something and it's just like holy shit like yeah. this band when they recorded Bohemian Rhapsody like it I, sounds like it's a full orchestra but yeah. they break down track by track how it's all Brian May's guitar. And it's like, here's the flute part. And he's like, I just played this backwards. And those guys, like, those guys truly transcended and uh, it transcended the genre, but also had like millions of adoring fans. Yeah. And hit singles. And like, so Queen are definitely like good guys. Uh, good guys. Done you know, good. Queen hang whatever. it out. They're good guys. But wait, you are also like a punk hardcore kid, right? Oh, completely. Isn't that all like a reaction to the Prague? Yes. Yeah. But and- as I graduate college, I realized like, wait a second, like, I love this stuff too. Wow. Like, you know, I was very against it. I hated classic rock growing up. Oh, yeah. Like, I because, like, listening to WPLR in Connecticut, that's all we listened to. And, like, you know, there was a period where I was like, Black Sabbath sucks. And I, you know, Black Sabbath is my favorite band. It's like, they're like the best band ever. But I love, because I'm the same way. I come from a punk hardcore background as well. But it's like th- that reaction against punk and hardcore right. by finding what something that's diametrically opposed to it. But still has like the riffs is as catchy. Once uh, I was able to get like, to an age where I didn't, you know, you have that age where you're like, well, no, now I'm a punk kid. Like I can only listen to punk, and I have to hide that I'm listening to industrial music. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh wait a second, like I'm graduated college. Like, yeah. why am I so worried about this bullshit? <laughs> what did uh, you uh, grow up listening to? I was I grew up listening to punk, like more of the pop punk side. Yeah. Yeah, just in North Jersey. So we were kind of like in the influence of like the New York punk scene. And then there were all the homegrown Jersey bands. And then went to New Brun, went to Rutgers in New Brunswick, which has always been like a big music town. Bouncing souls. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Like I lived down the block from the apartment that they famously lived in when they were there. And yeah. There was just like all that influence. So I liked them, but I also was one of those like, I like my my brother's three year was three grades ahead of me, and all his friends were like punk kids, mm-hmm. and that was like he graduated high school in ninety five, so they were all like punk kids. Like I got there like right before Green Day, right, and all that. So I was going to shows and all that, and yeah, just like that whole era it was like who was it that everybody loved? It was like Bouncing Souls and Weston. Yep. Yep. Oh, oh yeah, I saw Weston a lot, a million times. <laughs> yeah, when my my that was like the big band in Jersey, even bigger than Bouncing Souls. They would play the Rat in Boston. Well, be- Boston, Weston, 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 Weston were from Souls. Connecticut. They were from Pennsylvania. And, oh, that's no, right. They were the from Pen- yeah. They were, I'm sorry. They were from Pennsylvania. When my band Oxford Collapse played our last show in 2009, uh, our drummer was a huge Weston fan, and we got Dave Weston oh, nice. to come, and we played. Uh, uh, just like Kurt just and like David Kurt, Soul right. at our last show <laughs> with Dave like Weston Kurt, on guitar. Like the anthem of yeah. the high school. But yeah. yeah, it was like Weston. Lifetime? Oh, Lifetime was yeah. good. And then who else did we all love? We were all obsessed with uh, Jawbreaker. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Screeching Weasel. Yep. Queers. Oh, the Queers. Yeah. 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 Saw the Queers with Rancid opening up. Uh, oh, that's good. And brutally familiar <laughs> opening Rancid up. Open for the queers. Yeah, it was at the tune in. Uh, it was right when the first Rancid record came oh, out. That it. Uh, and it was like I was like, oh, I love Op Ivy. I'm yeah. gonna go see this new band. Yeah. Avail, I'm sure. Avail was big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all those, like I Farm and like. Yeah. Oh, I played with I Farm once. You want to? You want to hear something like interesting? I have a story about I Farm that literally just just happened last week. Um, I'm from Long Island originally. This is the only. Environment in which I can imagine I have a story about iPhone that all <laughs> yes. three of us are aware of. Guys, 
check it out. I'm try- now I'm trying to think like what no, no. Local, the, local level you, bands I can name. What, please this story it. is going to uh, blow your minds in a couple ways. The other uh, last we week- started, by the way, right? Oh, yeah, we're, we're with Chris Gethard here. Yeah, we're we going. started. This no is, we are. This is the most casual. Welcome to the podcast, brother. This is what Worst Gig Ever is all about. Yes, Chris Gethard backstage. In my apartment. <laughs> Welcome. It's a beautiful apartment. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. So we're talking about the band iFarm, and if you don't know, they were kind of like a really chaotic but kind of poppy hardcore band from Jersey or from like New- the Bronx or something. They Buff- all yeah, so yeah. state area. They kind of then they were kind of like anarchists, right? Yeah, yeah they had a, they had a so real. I remember at least the bass player was pretty crusty. Well, right. Okay, remember the bass player? Part, part of the story. Punk band. No, no, no. They no. were like they were very right. political, but yeah. they were like a, like a propagandi, like yeah. very yes. very heavily wearing it on their sleeve, kind right. of political. So last week, uh, my wife and I were walking down the street, uh, Russell Street in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn. <laughs> I see a box. On the side of the street, it says free CDs. And in it are just, you know, it's clearly that the guy who threw it out ran a label or something. Right. Because he had had, like, the actual boxes that, like, 20 CDs would come in. And it was all the same CD. It was a label called Traffic Violation Records, which was based out of Long Island originally. And they put out, there was a band called Ladderman, who were kind of like a, I think they were a Long Island pop punk band. Right. But there were also multiple copies of an iFarm CD. Ladderman... Are part of that whole bomb the music industry click? If I are remember, they right? Maybe bomb the music industry. That's like it the sounds like familiar. Sky, Long Island. Crew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds. That they sound, probably were. That's like maybe a couple <laughs> years after my time. <laughs> you should just name all the local. But wait, where did you grow up? I grew up in a town called Syosset. On Long Island, okay. like North, like so North Shore. I was oh, Connecticut. Where, where was this Northeast? I was Connecticut, oh, but I also Northeast. played, you know, New Brunswick basement shows right, all the time. Right. right. So. Uh, so I, Derek from New Brunswick, Automaton. That was the house we played all the time. Wait, guys, people want to hear yeah, the sorry, end sorry, of this iFarm yes, story yes, yeah. on the edge of their seats. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like iFarm. This, like, I never listened to them at the time, but like, I remember seeing their name on flyers, whatever. Bring the CD home. First CD I've owned in years. Right. Listen to it. Immediately remove the CD after like <laughs> really? I, no I went through each song. No it was just like okay, I I, I see. you went. Oh, I remember. I, I missed this. I remember <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. No, I missed this at the time. <laughs> yeah. It's not 1996 anymore. Yeah. Right. So then I, I farmed not listening to too much. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> sure. Wait a second. I'm like, let me look up these guys. See what is going on with this band. Like, I may, like who who threw out these CDs? I think Do I it. know what you're gonna say. Oh, you probably do. No, this is like this <laughs> what is pretty the job crazy. Of one of the current yes. of iFarm is. So the, <laughs> now I'm no, okay. So listen to this. So I I'm like, this. I'm looking the into this. <laughs> I'm looking into this, and it's like, wait a sec. Okay, so the bass player, I found him. I think I was looking him up on Facebook to see if we had any friends in common. Right. Turns out that the bass player of iFarm is the first official White House videographer to President Obama. Crusty. And then I oh, heard him. That. I heard him on NPR the other day when I went to get uh, groceries. Right. Why that's important to the story, I don't know. I'm glad but you anyway, told us. so they were interviewing him, and like he he is he just wrote a book about he because he's really close with Obama. You know, he was the first official videographer. Right. So he's coming from you know. And while he was of, being interviewed, underneath his button down. Os Rotten shirt. Yeah, we, <laughs> totally. Os Rotten tattoo, him. probably. Yes, who else, exactly. Who else was, I, I'm 32. How old okay. are you guys? 34. Oh, so it's all the We're same all era. the same era. So who else, like Jersey, it was like Thirsty, and then Egghead, thirsty. Used, to come, Egghead right. used to come from yeah. New York and play a lot. Right. And that John Bowie was a UCB guy who was like the first UCB right, right, right. crossover. He was, he was uh, the bassist in Egghead. And I did not know that. 
who else were the local bands? Uh, the big bands on Long Island were Silent Majority. Oh, yeah. They were yeah. kind of like, they were a little more hardcore, but they were like a kind of an avail. You guys had a lot of ska bands out of Long Island. Uh, Mephiscopheles. Mephiscopheles oh, was from Long Island. I, I, I saw them play at Montclair State University. Right. And they, they pulled me up on stage and made me chant, I love Satan. And I felt weird yeah, about that sure. as, as an Irish Catholic. Kid. That's amazing. Wait, uh, our ska bands got... in Connecticut were JC Super Ska. We had Spring Heel Jack. And you also Spring had Jack. I yeah. saw them in Did you I just had... found at my mom's house my Spring Heel Jack shirt that's a skanking Darth them. Vader. Oh, and the Tour dates are like Tatooine, like then New Haven. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what was I, I doing? Remember that. Now, wait, didn't yeah. Long Island also have the very regrettably named Ska Skank Redemption? Uh, I, <laughs> Later I, known as the Royalty? I feel like uh, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't say uh, that I this, did see that. Let's just talk about this the whole time. Yep, We've got stuff. We, got we really can't keep um, going. Who everybody loved. Let's yeah. see. Like, who was... I loved J... I was obsessed with J Church. They weren't like a tri-state right, area, right. but I was obsessed with J Church. Right. J Church were San Francisco. Well, J Church and Jawbreaker were, were like compatriots. Yeah, yeah. Jawbreaker became like the biggest punk yeah. band in the country. Yes. I was like no a straight up hardcore kid. Like, you know, especially like senior... Like, so I was like... I wanted like New York hardcore. But then, like you know, dead guy who was from Jersey right. area. But wait, this is this is. Did you like like Heckle from Jersey? Ensign. Ensign. Oh. Okay, I, wait, okay, wait. My, my good friend in college was there, Rody. He was Ensign? the center of the football team. But on the weekends, he go to Ensign. Shows. Ensign were one of those bands. What this was? This was. They're still around. Nineteen ninety-six. Yeah, it's a bummer, a kind of. They keep coming oh, wait, back. Like, Ensign we're, were the band that I was like, all right, you know what? I'm, this is going to be my band. And I remember yeah, seeing right. them at the PWAC, which was the People with AIDS Coalition. Yep. Uh, there I was a venue on Long Island. It was a huge warehouse. Ensign played. I bought the shirt. I bought the seven inch. I, I was like, that seven this is going to be I was like, this is going to be my band. I'm going to rep for yeah. Ensign on Long Island. Like, couldn't get into it. Yeah. I like, tried right. as I'm I might. Like, I was a straight edge kid. I still love the minor threat. CD. Like, right. I still Discography. Yeah. That all the time. Still scary. got my straight edge tattoo on my back. You do? <laughs> yeah. Are you still straight edge? Yep. Oh wow, yeah. See, I grew up. It's a tramp stamp too, by the way. So fun. Is oh, oh this is yeah. this is we're learning I, new I grew things. Up straight, I still don't drink. Yeah. Don't do really anything. Yeah. But I remember trying so hard. Like I bought Youth of Today. I bought Gorilla Biscuits, and I tried so hard to pretend that I liked them. Yeah, yeah. I tried so hard. Gorilla See, Biscuits. Two weeks I could ago, get I into. bought a Chain of Strength reunion show <laughs> ticket because I got to really? go. I, and mouthpiece. That no, Youth mouth- of Today seven inch. I just like would listen to it constantly, and just in my mind, in my heart, I always just knew. Right. I was like, this is not good. Right. No, I, I was like, right. yeah. <laughs> I was like, nah, this is not. We're back. I need to listen to like Mr. T experience. Right. No, exactly. I like I honestly because I was always more of a melody guy, and, yeah. and and I veered as much as I loved hardcore like pop punk was what I. There was a band called Sleeposaurus from Long Island who were oh, phenomenal, um, unsung here like heroes. Uh, but this is a question I have for you in terms of Jawbreaker. There's kind of a. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a dividing line because I personally came into Jawbreaker through Dear You, the major label, right. the last Where record. Were turning their back. Right. Yeah, which I loved, and then I went backwards from there. Or maybe I knew some of the stuff. A, I have. Do you want to hear? A but are you a fan of the later stuff? I I like that. I feel like probably everyone. Like I bet most kids who grew up liking punk look back and look at what happened to Jawbreaker, mm-hmm. and probably now are like, that's the stupidest. Thing that and the way that everyone treated Jawbreaker, like right. there's all those stories of people like going to their concerts and when they started playing, just turning their backs on them, right. and facing the other way because they signed to a major label. Right. 
And now, and now just... we've got Quicksand, who are just on Jimmy Fallon, yeah. and are playing sold out show tonight that I can't. Hey, go to. Just everything <laughs> changed with the internet, where that never, yeah. it never mattered yeah. again. It's major. never. Kids don't yeah. understand that never, concept. Yeah, like uh, my old label, like the label that put out my old band Orchids records. Like you know, they had a big thing of like no barcodes. Like that was a huge yeah. thing. And even then, I was starting to. But now, especially, I'm like, wait, why did we? Literally, like, nobody cares about. That. It was no a huge thing too. Such a we won't review fucking records with yeah. barcodes. Yeah. I'm just like maximum yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. But that Dear You is an awesome record. Yes. It's awesome. I yeah. mean, I like 24-hour revenge therapy yeah. probably better, but Dear You is probably... As a gateway, yeah. it totally works. Now, I had work. my job... Listen to this. Yeah. My older brother, one of his best friends, this guy Mike, was a real big punk kid, and he had a Jawbreaker 7-inch, one of the real early 7-inches, and my brother stole it from him, and then I stole it from my brother, and uh, it had what was it? It was busy and Biz, the busy seven inch. The busy seven inch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years ago, I did a comedy show in my house. We did like an episode of my talk show that was filmed in my apartment. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember and that after one. that, someone stole my fucking jawbreaker. Oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps getting stolen. But I, I look, I think about it now. I like it never occurred to me. I was like. Oh, I bet the busy. I bet. I think it was a first pressing of the. Yeah, oh, that's, right. a, that's a, that record. I bet that was worth some money, man. It's, I bet yeah, somebody took that. Come full circle now. Somebody took that out of my house and sold it on eBay. That's fucking bullshit. That that's, sucks, man. But that's yeah. how I found. It. Well, okay, so, what was your yeah. stance on like fat record stuff? Fat record stuff. That, yeah, that was when I was a freshman in high school, and I, I don't know, like. I remember liking some of it in passing. Like, they put out those comps, those... Uh, fat punk music. Around. Oh, wait, punk, fat yeah. music for fat people. I'm fat, thinking yeah. the Epitaph comps. Yeah. So, uh, even at the time, I as much as I liked a lot of those bands, like, Lagwagon. I remember like, liking Lagwagon yeah. a little bit. But I also realized there was... How about Paul? A little bit. But I remember, <laughs> oh, I love them like, still so much. <laughs> see, those comps I felt like were really cool because you right. were like, oh, there's all these bands and it's like this whole crew yeah. out of California. But then by the end of the comp, you were like, like they sound exactly every the same. single one of those bands sounds exactly the so same. There was right. something no, even at the time that I was like, this stuff it sounds totally mass produced. Right. Like yeah. totally generic. I mean, it's literally, it sounds like the same backing right. band for every. And then Blink-182 also- happens. Yeah. Who I saw open for Sam I Am and to I, like 15 I people. Like, hate- I don't hate Blink. I don't. No, hate they're them totally fun. like secretly, I can listen to them and understand why people. Secretly, I remember when they were just yeah. like putting out seven inches and as stuff, just Blink. You know I mean? My yeah. first main girlfriend was obsessed. That was her favorite band. I remember like hunting out like oh I had to find the grilled cheese yeah. seven inch. They are also secretly my favorite band. Like I, I well, then I'll tell you why. I feel like Blink One Eighty Two took pop punk to the logical like extreme far. Like it can't for my money. It cannot get better than that. Sure. I mean, in terms of that style of like, and Mark Coppin like, seemed like a very nice guy. I just when don't. I was on his show. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I just cool. don't know. Show me another pop punk band that is doing what they did better with yeah. the same attitude, the same right. I mean, those guys nailed the chord progressions. Like they just took it to its it is true. logical end. I they feel. like took it to a place that was gross to anyone who grew up <laughs> yep. liking punk. But sure, right. If those albums did, had not been mainstream successes. They would be. Everyone would still have all those records. Yeah, right. Be talking about. Yeah. Them. See, I. My whole thing with music became like I was a punk kid and really going to all those local shows and then discovered the Smiths through that. And I was right. like one of those Smiths guys. Yeah. There was, was like, a, there was a crossover. There was like pretty like, much from, oh, yeah. that was that, here's the other weird thing about the nineties was like, at least in Jersey, I wonder if it's the same where you guys were like, there weren't enough bands that you could have like a hardcore show. Mm-hmm. It was just the punk show. So you'd have like a gutter punk band. Right. And a ska band, and then two hardcore bands, yeah. and then I heard you were talking band. about that on Fogelness uh, yeah, podcast, yeah. and I was saying, I was like, yeah, that's how it was. Like, the, you know, the first shows I went to at the TuneIn were mixed shows, like, and then slowly it'd be like, oh wait, I like the hardcore show. So slowly yeah. we did like 
right after that, like when you know, when I started a band, like we start like it was right at the time, like it felt like there were enough bands that like but that being said, every show was fast break tenfold, some of all yeah. fears, ground zero, switch stance. Like so, some variation with twenty five to life going in there, a hate breed. Yeah. Uh, I was going to all these shows and seeing like these very different types of bands and three di- I bought it I remember Friend of mine was like, you'd really like J Church, and mm-hmm. I bought a seven inch of theirs, and they covered Girlfriend in a Coma, and right. I was like, that sounds awesome. And I remember looking at the record and seeing it wasn't written by them, and I was like, Morrissey and Mark, like, right. you know what that was? And then there was a local band in Jersey called the Lavalinas, that was like a real nerdy pop punk band, pretty good, and they covered Ask. And I remember when they played that, I was like, that was the best song, man. What was that song like? And they were like, I'm talking, and they actually played. They played it at a show my friend held in his backyard uh-huh. that was headlined by local band Thirsty. That were these led. That was the guy who wound up yeah. running Muddle fun- fans. Yeah, was Muddle. Great. Muddle was a great the guy fanzine. from Muddle was in right. this band Thirsty, and Thirsty. they headlined this show. And playing underneath them was a then still undiscovered less than Jake who played Crazy. in my friend's backyard in 1995. Yeah, who I my my dad's army buddy who we would go to every Thanksgiving and every WrestleMania. Uh, his nephew is now the either saxophonist or uh, trombonist in Lesson Jake. I like, And I remember him as like, oh, the redhead kid who's running around like Le- being mean and not talking. Less than Jake were a revelation when, when, oh, I heard, yeah. when, I heard, when we heard that and Far Out Records and that kind of Scott Punk stuff. Yeah, the Bruce Lee you know, band. That, uh, it, needless to say, the, the Mighty Mighty Boss tones. Oh, you yeah, know, they like, were great. That was... Social there, Distortion was another there one was we a, all loved. So, and I love... Social Distortion were one of the first uh, like quote-unquote punk bands that I got. Got into them through Columbia House. Got the seat. Oh, got Somewhere between heaven and hell from Columbia House because I liked the cover of it and loved. The, and then even then I realized how dumb his lyrics were. Yeah, and there was like the were like the most juvenile rhyming He's so scheme. Cool, though. There's some like I would never I say Mike Ness cool. if you're out there. The, love uh, you. Another state of mind. You ever seen another? Oh state yeah, of mind yeah. Oh yeah. That was what I was like, man. Like I liked Sync with California by Youth Brigade, but yep. I bought their album and I was like, oh, every other song is bad. Where'd that come <laughs> up? Oh, that came social. up on the You Made It Weird podcast. So there was Zach Krager. All of a sudden, he started talking from Whitest Kids. He started talking about how he was into punk and started talking about how he was into, like, dystopia and power violence uh-huh. stuff. And his oh, year was okay. gone. But then they were trying to figure out who wrote that song. Sync with California? Yeah. And he was, like, I think, Brigade, yeah, he was like, I think it was Youth Brigade. And Pete Holmes didn't know what was going California, on. It's very, jer- I mean, it, it, for me, like, it's like listening to, like, because, like, yeah, all these bands are very, like, oh, definitely you were from Jersey. Like, yeah. definitely you're from, like, because, like, you know, in Connecticut, yeah. at least for me, like, you know, I also grew up, like, wanting, like, heavier music. But, like, we had a much, like, tougher scene I was dealing with. Yeah, was with. that, like, from all those insane Boston hardcore bands? I think there like, was a bit, because like I definitely, I played a show band? with, in Boston, to end up being, like, when I first started going to college in Boston, I remember was some 10-yard fight show where I remember there was almost a fight. And there was a big speech about how this is the first show in years because of all the violence because people were, like, yelling at Wolfpack. <laughs> well, dude, um, we had Bulldoze. Did you know Bulldoze? Yes. Oh, yeah, from the, the New York. Beat down. New York we were down the New York's band. hardest comic. Bulldoze were one of those bands that couldn't come to Connecticut because there would be so many fights. Because, yeah. like, we, Connecticut would be, like, like we my band played a show with Earth Crisis and Hate Breed. Oh, dude, Earth um, Crisis. And FSU <laughs> came down from Boston to fuck with Connecticut and DMS crew who would be there who were the New York crew. 
Yeah. And then someone pulled the gun out, started start shooting it think, in like I the middle like, of Middletown or Bridgeport. Yeah. I remember going to see, I think Helmet played a free show at Montclair State. <laughs> yeah. A whole bunch of us like, we'll go see Helmet for free. Yeah, sure. And then all of a sudden, all the punk kids, all these whispers and all like the Jersey punk kids were hanging on the same section. There was Kevon from Bulldoze is here. Kevon from oh. Bulldoze is here. <laughs> Kevon is here. And everybody was just scared. Right. Kevon. I think he went to prison for killing a guy yeah. at a show, right? Yeah. Nice. He hit a kid with a mic stand and killed I him. I lived home. in fear of Bulldoze because yeah, also Bulldoze like was I was in, like Hate Breed was our band. Hate Breed was like the you know now they're huge but like at the time hate breed was booked all the shows yeah. like would borrow all of our equipment but like i got so beat down in those like yeah, i man. knew who to look out for because yeah. like oh here comes boulder uh, uh, like, you know. on long island it was it was vision of disorder vod yeah. Oh, yeah, were VOD, the big yeah. uh, i think we played with, but vod might have played that show with earth crisis I, it was crazy. I would well this okay this this we can segue this into like also, h2o yeah. did you guys like h2o oh, of course i did like h2o I, yeah. I saw them live and they played uh heaven knows i'm miserable now and that was the tipping point where i was like i'm gonna go buy everything by these guys toby from h2o now is a uh motivational, motivational speaker, speaker yeah. pushes pma and straight wait, edge so wait, H2O, he goes to schools and gives out like straight edge stickers h2o is no longer a band cool. i think it's awesome i think it's awesome as a person who's the only person still straight edge <laughs> like mean, yeah yeah I, I like i just like i'm like go for it man that's great i, I love pm at the, fir- the first fuck. h2o show which was when i saw at the wetlands i don't know if you, you right. used to go to shows yes, i, I to saw wetlands. it was rancid avail and the queers right next to the path chain so we weren't yeah. scared to go there oh it was right. great right. i saw oy compilation there i, I used Oy. But the, the po- point being, okay. A syllable I haven't heard many years. <laughs> We're bringing Oy it back. Is the worst. Um, so hardcore, especially at that time, was completely humorless. I mean, it was yeah. all about, and in pop punk and stuff, you, there was more of a sense of humor. Oh, so sure. in your case, like, where did the, where did the comedy come from? If you're, cause when you're like a punk kid and stuff at that time, it's like, that defines kind of who you are. That's what you do. It's not like yeah. I'm sort of into this stuff. But there's I a like... lot of comedy. There's so many. Like, you and I are not the only kids who grew up punk kids. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, who are doing comedy now. That's not just us guys. Like, I feel like there's a lot. Like, even thinking of Egghead, who I brought up before, mm-hmm. that show I mentioned in the backyard, they, uh, Thirsty was real good friends with them and was handing out all these fanzines that they would just distribute at shows. And I got, did you ever read Go Metric fanzine? I remember the name. I don't think I read it. Egghead no. put out this fanzine, and it was like basically just to promote Egghead Seven Inches, mm-hmm. but it was super, super funny. And I thought they—I remember them being really funny. I remember I liked Mr. T Experience partially because I thought they had like good melodies, and partially because I thought they were really funny. Yeah, right. And I still think like a lot of my favorite bands, especially from that punk era, had a really great sense of humor. Right. You know? I remember like one of the kids from the Automatics was taking classes at. Used to oh, be really? Way back in the day, and I didn't mm-hmm. even know it. Like, I was friends with him, and then I was like, wait, like, did you used to, you're in the, yeah. you're like a mutant pop guy. <laughs> I used to sleep on my friend's floor right. in New Brunswick. He was like, oh, shit, man, I remember you guys. I remember like, Ari Vokaitis. I mean, Ari Vokaitis, he was my first, uh, you know, first sketch, or first improv teacher in 2002. Yeah, what's, what's his pedigree? Uh, he was in Scott King Crab. Yeah. Uh, gotta get him on the show. Because uh, yeah. I also think part of that culture, it's like a weird segue, but I think part of that culture was like, you know, you're like trading seven inches, and you're making mixtapes right. for people, and you're telling kids, like, you know, like the older kids were telling me stuff they thought I would like, and we used to go to the record store, Let It Rock in Montclair. Mm-hmm. That was like the punk rock record store. So there's that whole culture of like passing around shit. And back then, before the internet, that also meant like Andy Kaufman videos. Right. And like that was a huge thing. Tons of punk kids were into Andy Kaufman yeah. stuff. You right. know what I mean? And like things like that that I think of, like and old David Letterman clips. Exactly. And like, and like the of, DIY element is like, yeah. I mean, it's in obviously in everything you do yeah uh, and, and it's something it you know point. like when it's like every last day of sketch class it's like what do i do like i'm usually my answer is like be a punk 
Like honestly, like yeah. use the like use the elements you don't understand because you didn't grow up as like a punk or a hardcore kid. But like, just do it yourself. Like, don't look for like yeah. fucking. Oh, I need to find money to get a video. Like, just go make it. Make a shitty video. Yeah. Like, and then you'll yeah. find a way to make a better one. You'll find somebody. Like, it's just kind of you know people. It's that ethic. That ethic kind of ends up. I helps. Really I think it helps. I think it helps the people who grew up in that. Yes, realm. it helped me because like with everything that I'm dealing with now, like you know, I've had like a weird couple of years professionally, right. and then. I wound up, I do the, I do a public access TV show now that's mm-hmm. definitely my voice more than anything else. And I think the fact that I grew up a punk kid made me more able to see how the fact that we couldn't ever make it look nice could be an asset and not right. a drawback. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. The fact that our, you know, that's a studio that's like, it's public access. The equipment gets real beat up. It's been right. sitting there forever. Like things break and people don't know how to fix it or the equipment's so old that they don't make the parts anymore. Like there's, you know, right. It looks flat. It looks real tinny, but there's something new in my mind. I was like, well, I know it to me, it's so weird to talk about this, but it's like, it makes it accessible. Like in the same way that when you buy a seven inch from a crappy band and you hear all those hisses and pops. Right. And it was cause it was poorly pressed. You're like, well, this makes me like these guys more. If I look at my favorite records of all time, like I'm thinking of like Genesis records, which are the most produced records. But then in probably my top five records still after all this time is One-Eyed God Prophecy, who are this Canadian hardcore band who maybe pressed a thousand of them. The recording is terrible. Like just vocals are way too – like everything's fucked on it. And like I'm not going to try to explain to people like, oh, this is why it's good. Like, But when I listen to it. Like oh well, this is what well, I, th- I think off, what you're like. saying what you're saying like and what you're saying about uh, the, the 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 technical drawbacks to the show add to it being kind of charmingly shambolic in a way and people can relate to the like the humanity of it because yeah. they see like right. oh maybe this is something that I could do yeah right. and it makes it like our show is a call-in show too and we do all this like weird stuff and in a way I've really come to almost love it we did it at UCB for years. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, it, like I really love it that it's on public access because what I found is like, since we stream it online, so many of the people calling us, like, I don't want to get like too, um, like emo or sentimental, but like, I get emails all the time. Like, there's a kid who just came down from Boston who's a 15 year old kid who like called our show a month prior and like started telling us that his parents had just got divorced and like, right. the show was like his thing in the middle of the week, and it was like. Then this kid shows up in our audience and, you know, like I get emails from kids who are like, I got one and like, they're kind of all, they're all intense and they're all amazing. Like got one from a guy who's like, he's from Northern Ireland and he's like, he sounds like he was just kind of like a loser kid, you know what I mean? Just like I was. And he's like, I wound up still living in my hometown and working at this store (laughs) where I sold suits. And we really only sell suits to people who are on their way to funerals at this big cemetery in town. And my bosses are these evil people and they make me upsell the suits and he's like, I watch your show and like, it's the first time I've seen people who remind me of me. Right. And like, I just quit my job because I was like, I can't do this. Like, it makes me feel bad. And I'm like reading that some kid in Northern Ireland like felt comfortable quitting this horrible job because our show connected with him and he felt like he knew us. And I'm like, well, that's the same way that records used to make me feel. You know what sure. I mean? Like, that's the same way that like buying a seven inch from a local band at the local record store field. And then I go see them in a show and they'd actually talk to me. Like that right. meant a lot back in the day. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Even the guys from Weston who were like a reasonably big band. Like if you saw them after they played and you were like, Hey man, good show, but you fucked up the solo. They'd be like, right. I know man. Right. I, had, I had too many yeah. drinks. You know what I mean? Like that I, vibe of like, well, it's cause community. it's good. Cause I feel like it helps. I well, mean, for me, like it's puts into perspective 
like, and it's, you know, for most of my life of just like, you know, because I grew up in that, like celebrities bullshit. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, yeah. cool. Like, you're in, you're like, you're, you're still a fucked up person. Your parents yeah. still fucked you up. Like, you got all these issues you're dealing with. Like, it's like, great, Tom Cruise. Like, whoever it is. <laughs> like, honestly, it's just like, like, for me, like, I never really care that much. Like, if you, if I appreciate work, that's a different but thing. But I think as the two of us can attest to having toured and put out records. Right. And, play, and even if, if, if you're playing, for, even if four, it's the kind of, we've talked about this in the, on the show before, even if four people come, and then afterwards, they're like, you guys were awesome. I mean, that's still like yeah. in 2008. Right. Was, was, because I remember how I felt going to see bands that I loved and where's everybody kind of yeah. deal. Right. And then it's, and then it's me years later. It's like, and then you well, kind of look kid. back on those shows though. And you're like, that's kind of the most amazing experience. Exactly. Like, I saw, yeah. yeah. I saw less than Jake in a backyard in 1995. And then, you know, they became like the most big sort of like for a while. Teeny anyway. bopper sort of like you remember when they opened for Bon Jovi? Briefly, oh, yeah, like yeah. they like got way stadium. too big for their own. I bet yeah. they would maybe say that it got ridiculous yeah. for a while too. But like to see this band that became this huge band in a backyard with ten other people, like meant so much to us. Yeah. Right. I'll never forget. I saw H two O at a roller skating rink in Randolph, New Jersey, and I'll never ever forget this. I went with my friends, and I've always like you know, I've always had issues with like depression, anxiety, like always just got it real, real bad as a kid. Right. And like didn't tell anybody like was just like really suffering for many years and i'll never ever forget going to this h2o shoe with my friends and there were all these uh arcade games in the back and i just went and was leaning against one of them and uh no one else was around there and i was just miserable i just like couldn't deal with being around people that day and i look back and i was like 15 or 16 and i'm like man i i should have just like gotten help when i knew he needed right. it but i'm standing back there by myself and i'll never forget toby from h2o walked back there and he's like, is the basketball game turned on? I was like, nah, man, all the games are turned off. He's like, that really sucks, man. That sucks. I wanted to play. Like, hey, you doing, you doing all right? And I was like, yeah, I'm all right, man. He's like, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Thank you for coming to the show. And I look back on it and I'm like, he knew those games weren't, all the lights right. were off. But like, it was a culture back then where the biggest guy in the room, like Toby from H2O in a roller skating rink in suburban New Jersey is the biggest celebrity. Right. Any of those kids have seen in ye- a year, you know? Yeah. And he's walking up to one kid who looks sad in the back. Like, that's a cool way to behave. That's like a cool community and a cool ethic. And I think comedy has that now. I don't mm-hmm. know if like music has that as much anymore. I don't know right. if bands are as accessible. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, I know I think about like, you know, I have to like force it. Like if people come up like in any capacity, like and be- remind myself like, oh, wait, Jeff, stop being like an anxiety ridden like asshole and like talk. Yeah. Because like I remember like, you know, fuck Snapcase because I remember going to see Snapcase once. It was like right after my parents like told me they're getting divorced and I was very into steps. They're like EP and like whatever reason, one of the instrumentals like I felt like helped me out. And I remember like telling the guitarist and like maybe I was wearing my heart on my shoulder too much, yeah. but he could not care less yeah. like and i was just like oh fuck that like yeah. honestly fuck snap and, and what bit. that does to you kept, as a kid it in is just like i mean that totally fucks you up sure because you're you're i mean i had already felt like i was rejected by my family because you're kidding you don't know, process yeah. shit yeah. and then also i'm like oh i'm getting rejected by this guy i've decided to be my idol at this point in in a club that's like you got 250, 300 yeah. tops here. Yeah. Like, it's not enough for you to it be a dick. It means something to you that we're here. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I think it's nice on the, uh, but also on the artist side to like realize, like you, what you were just saying, uh, what you're doing for, for the fans of the show, the same way kind of what 
Toby from H. Like the like you're giving these people joy and some, or, or they're latching on to what you're doing, be it music and I try, or comedy. Yeah, I try yeah. to like because I do all this weird comedy and I've kind of struck out profet on like sure. the mainstream stuff. Like I've had so many chances. And the windows have kind of closed on me, like, getting a writing gig at SNL. Like, I submitted five times and guest right. wrote there. Like, it, it's not going to happen. Like, I right. had a sitcom on Comedy Central at Bomb. So, like, my only option has been to just sort of, like, stubbornly stick to all the stuff I actually want to do from me. And then if I'm going to do that, then I think it just loops back around to that ethic of, like, well, then I've got I've to sort of give to people who find it and like it the same thing that the artists who I liked right. gave to me, you know? Right. I mean, I know it's something you kind of covered in that, that great article, or the, not even an article, in the great blog. response on your blog. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was. It was. It was just, it worked. Like, it was, it, I mean, it made sense. For the listener, uh, if, if, if people are Someone wrote are, in to the Chris Gethard show about... Uh, what was it about just fail? How do you get over like, yeah, like, fear of failure, right? Yeah. Like I want to get, I want to do stand up or take right. an improv class, but I'm scared. How do you get over the fear of failure? And I basically just told them like, I failed on a level that most like that would be your nightmare. Like right. if you're scared to fail in an improv class, like to get, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I feel like I always talk about it now, but I'm like, I guess I'm kind of over it and comfortable with it and look at it really interesting as a really interesting stretch of life. But like got this sitcom, like, like, I don't know. I feel like in the UCB New York comedy world, I had hit a point by around 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. where I was like sort of regarded as the guy where it's like, oh man, like you're like, you're like that last guy who hasn't caught a break. You know what I mean? Like I was like that guy. And it was. You're the last rough. dude in your class. Yeah. It was, like, it was like, you know, I came up with like Bobby and Zach, like guys were in the office, like yeah. all these people. And it's great. And I love all those people, but it definitely was rough. And. Then I got that break. I got a break on Comedy Central and got cast in a sitcom. It was produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. And all these articles, New York Times writes a profile on me. Who's this guy? This unlikely success story. Right. And then it bombed really hard. And like, it was, I realized like, it was the most liberating thing in the world because it wasn't that difficult. Right. And the reason it wasn't so difficult, what I write about in the post you're mentioning is like, when I got the job, I'd spent all these years stressing and feeling sort of like self-conscious and like all these other people are making it and I'm not and I'm a failure and all I need is that break and then it'll be like, you know, the sun, you know. Smooth sailing. Yeah, right? like the end right. of the movie. Like it'll be like, I'll be like red walking towards Andy on the beach of Sewataneo. You know what right. I mean? Like <laughs> right. I'll have that moment in my life and I was, it was like, no, like it, none of, nothing changed. I was still like a nervous wreck. I was still like couldn't don't have clothes that match i still have all my clothes are still like from old navy you know what i mean right like, i'm still like a loser like that's fine so when it failed i was like all right that's fine too like it didn't swing anything as far as i thought it would in either emotional direction like the successes didn't change my life for the better the failures didn't change it for the worse so if i can go through that and be totally fine you can take an improv class right. like that was my point with that post and yeah, I mean, it, cause it is a, I mean, it's a liberating thing to remind yourself of that and start to realize that, like, that it's just, it's, it's fear, you know, and it, for me, like, and I'm sure, like, you know, you can maybe attest it's like this, it's fear of the past and fear of the future, like, and never living in the right now. 
Like yeah. it's just this constant overwhelming, just like crushing. It's, and it's also yeah. fear of other of the, the, the thoughts that you have of what other people what you think other people are thinking about exactly. you coming true. Exactly, and it's therapy of re- for me of realizing, like, even if they, even if someone doesn't like me, it's not for the reasons that I don't like me. Right. You know, right. and that's a huge thing. Like, what, it's like when my guy said that to me, I was just like, you know, it was, it was a, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, and I have to, re- like, and it's, you know, because it's a huge thing. I sp- if you're If you're a person who's just, you know, miserable with yourself, then you fucking throw that onto everyone else. Just like, well, they clearly aren't going to be into me or whatever. Right. You know, they're clearly not going to like me. And sure, like probably people don't like you. People love you. People don't like you. But yeah. it's a huge thing to realize that. And you have to remind yourself. It's work. It's fucking. Yeah. You know, my big yourself. revelation in therapy was when my shrink said, I think I figured out that your basic, the broad strokes of your problems or that your reactions to things are not proportional to what the things are. Right. Like huge sure. things would happen in my life and I'd just be able to be like, I'm strong. I can handle this. Right. Like huge, massive crushing things would happen and I'd be like, I'll get through it. And then like, I'd like buy chunky peanut butter instead of smooth and be like, I know I gotta go back to the store. Right. Like, no, I gotta, I'm such I, an idiot. I, yeah, like, you know I can I mean? empathize. Like, with and that, that would yeah. make me not be able to get, a, yeah. get out of bed the next right. day. Like some little thing that would become in my mind representative of the fact that I don't have it together and all this stuff. I, in, in my case, I've always felt like getting mad at something, uh-huh. like inconsequential, there's a weird release there, even though I know like, why am I getting mad for this guy who just like pushed me gently on the subway and then i right. have to elbow him and walk past him or like when it, me- when it means nothing right but there's that adrenaline thing and like there's yeah. something about reveling and being mad about something inconsequential that is weirdly satisfying yeah, it's in this, a destructive it's this way it's another thing for punk kids from our <laughs> yeah. era a lot of kids who were just like really angry and couldn't handle it. Yeah, I mean, I was watching a fucking allowed them to be yeah. angry. Like I was watching an Earth Crisis set, like before I came here, like from a show <laughs> from like a week ago in right. Philly. And, Confessional like, listening time. To, like the intros, like I was just like, Are they, they're, they're still playing. Oh yeah, Are they they've still got hitting people with hammers still? and stuff like that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that Wait, was that was that's was that an urban legend or was that a? Uh, Did you hear that one too? Though that was Someone Salt Lake else. City. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, Someone, like Salt Lake City and Courage Crew dudes are like the dudes who I always do heard there was shit. a story that it was like someone blew cigarette smoke at Earth Crisis so they hit <laughs> the guy with No the there was a show where someone came on stage like wearing a fur and I, threw yogurt at oh, wait, that, that was in New Jersey, in New Jersey. That, was that was at Jersey that yeah. was at uh in Middleton nah, it might be it might have been or something that was I remember that was a big thing when I was in like a freshman I remember in college. the fur coat show the fur yeah. coat yogurt yeah. the they're yeah. still basically doing the same shit and I bought I have all their last three records for the listeners yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people might be listening to this and have no idea what we're talking about. Earth we're talking Crisis, about Earth were Crisis, a or any straight like, edge band. Vegan, Go, uh, vegan war, uh, destroy the machines. I still stand behind a solid uh, record. Uh, I, I think I think the, uh, the, but. the point is though, kids, you're listening to this. Go back and Google any of these bands we've spoken right. about, and they will blow your and mind. And then look up the concept of hardline and how it's I, just a weird thing. I, also, I think like hardline, something like hardline being the next generation, the next movement past straight edge and veganism. Like hardline was like this crew of like vegan Reich and all and like raid from yeah, Memphis like an army, like a yeah. yeah and their army. thing was like you but know they were, literally like don't jerk off. Like you know you can only have sex or procreation. Like gay people. 
people are bad because they were pro life too. I mean, yeah, it was very absurd. Pro-life, like it was absurd. militant. Like you know, there was also always that undercurrent of like Nazi punk. Oh yeah, that was really but scary. Th- this is also this is also the what happens with with political correctness and 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 yeah. all of this and with kids that that are still learning and are like either like high school or college age and really aren't as smart as they think they are and there's a real simplistic view of a right. lot of these things but kids check out these bands exactly. anyway, no definitely listen to earth crisis there's, there's but, also I mean, listen to earth <laughs> no, definitely go listen to earth oh crisis my jeff garlock was listening was watching i like i've I just, got three i was earth watching earth crisis shirts. video before i came here today would you i i could see my wife laughing at me um, as they talked in between as i shredded old so, bills like an old but so so the show is worst gig ever and you know we 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 talk about a lot of the yes the worst the worst shows we've played or you know stand-up sets or whatever is that I the mean, longest it's ever taken you to get to that explanation oh no 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 got no, it. About it, no, the, show, no no the shows go Ensign. a lot of different ways but yeah. I, we just Medi- about <laughs> look if we want to get back it's, on Ensign, we'll look get back up to ensign i wish i knew what that seven inch was called it was a cd ep i believe i had an actual seven inch oh you did okay oh yeah that was a seven inch what i standing in front of what about shift shift i don't know okay shift were like equal vision records but okay, so you've you like you alluded to before, you've had a lot of I mean a lot of stuff has happened to you in the past couple of years. Yeah, it's been and, crazy. And and <laughs> really <laughs> I mean in terms of quote unquote worst gigs, yeah. I mean you know, having the show get cancelled is a is a big deal. Yeah. Um you know, but but that you, you it almost seems like you know, you balance it out with having your own public access show, uh getting uh, P. Diddy on the show last year yeah. is, is, I mean, you're, you, you seem to be able to balance the thing, the Bonnaroo stuff you did. Yeah, I feel like I have this sort of like dual life of like a bunch of near misses at mainstream success and then a running undercurrent of my own sort of like more oddball local level things that I'm really proud of. Mm-hmm. And right. it's like this sort of loop. I feel like I'm in this loop is what I've come to realize where like I'll do something like Diddy and it'll get a bunch of buzz and then someone will take a chance on me on a bigger scale, but they won't necessarily like, like after Diddy, I got all these meetings. I got flown out to LA and some meetings with like a production company that was like, I was like, Whoa, these guys want to meet me. This is right. awesome. And I told them they were like, this was before it was public access. And then they were like, what would you want to do if this was a TV show? And I said, I want to feel like public access, like old MTV. I want to have celebrities on, but I don't want them just plugging their products. I want to like, I want to like find out stuff about them, build bits around like things they actually like. Like Vin Diesel is obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons. You always hear like do a Dungeons and Dragons theme show with yeah. Vin Diesel. Like, you know what I mean? Like right. pitching all this stuff that we're kind of doing now on, on public access. And they're like, the guy just stopped when I was done talking. And like I killed it. Like there's him and two other guys. I'm not good at pitching. And they were like, everything I said, they were like, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then I was done talking and they paused. And the, the main guy just goes, what you're describing is an amazing television show. No one's ever gonna buy it. Right. No one's ever gonna buy that. You got if you're gonna do it, you gotta force the issue somehow, man. Right. And that was part of that was partially in my head when uh, a friend of mine from UCB, Keith Bethay. Do you know Keith? I don't think I know Keith. Keith, uh, he's he's been around a long time, and he works at Public Access. And I found that out and sat down with him. He told me everything about it, and yeah, just worked out that way. So yeah, yeah like I do all that stuff, and then I, th- I guess it's fair to say that some of the worst gigs ever are probably some of the stabs at the bigger picture stuff Mm -hmm. like for as much as i don't regret anything about doing the show on comedy central and for as much as i am completely appreciative of the uh opportunity 
to be on the set of a show where there's all this press and all this press, press specifically about me. And that became like the, the story, the underdog guy who came out of right. nowhere on two, I got that job on two days notice because right. the, the actor who was going to do it dropped out. And then to realize like, oh, there's like a lot of issues. Like they haven't really decided what they want this to be. Like the writers and the network and the production company have slightly different visions of what it is. And we start filming tomorrow. Right. I got the job the first day, I, next day, table reading, second day, we, I think we started filming. Right. That's scary to get in there and realize. And then to read all these articles that are like, you know, one, one, one of the interviews, so many people came out of UCB and are so successful. What are you going to do if you're the first one to drop the ball? And I'm like, that's not right. Fair. That's Which is annoying. Like it's in some fair. way, yeah, it feels well, like it. Es- yeah. Especially because what you're describing, and I mean, this this plays into a lot of the worst gigs we've heard, uh, is stuff out of your control. Yes. Right. Your game yes. for what's happening, and then like like other people are dropping the ball, and yeah. there's nothing that you can do about it. But because yeah. you're the face of the show, it was crazy. Uh, apparently, yeah. it's right. your fault. And I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about having no, a no, no. Like I am no, so no. grateful I had a shot, and if it. If it worked out, like if you, if you told me today, you'll get that shot. If, like if, if you, if I could travel back in time and be offered that gig and know it was going to turn out the way that it was going to turn out, I'd still do it. If they said it's going to wind up being like a really rocky life experience. Right. And it, a lot of it's going to sort of come, come on your shoulders. I'd still do it. You don't not take an opportunity, you know? Yeah. But it was, it was the best gig I've ever had and the most validating experience and like, um, in so many ways, professionally. Also, I didn't really realize, like, when I got that job, there's so much support. Like, the press was, like, crazy. Then also from the New York comedy scene, like, I didn't really know that, like, there are, there are, uh, there's a portion of the New York comedy scene that, like, looks to me as, like, an example. And I didn't know that. Uh huh. And there were a lot of people who were, like, like, uh, who let me know that. And even if just for that, it was worth it. Cause that sort of like, in my mind, sort of like redefined how I sort of like think about my approach to everything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 it's a yeah, blog yeah. post from UCB student. Yeah. I remember somebody sent me a link to one that was like, you'll probably want to read this. And it was a guy who was like, you know, I've been taking classes at this theater for years. And like, Gethard's a guy who I was used to look at him and be like, if he can't get a job, how am I going to get a job? He's really talented and he works really hard. And now it happened for him. And I like, if he can do it, we, the rest of us can do it. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm that guy. Like, all these people I love. Like, this is not me talking bad about right, it. Right, but right, like, right. A guy like Donald Glover is, like, supremely talented and a great-looking kid and, like, knows how to talk to people. Like, yeah. I'm not any of those things. Right. Like, I, I'm not a naturally funny guy. He's got skills a that a lot of us at the theater yeah. don't have. Yeah. Uh, there's like, a reason he's Donald Glover yeah. and we're all at the theater, yeah. you know? And like, and I love him. You know, like I love Donald. Donald, I saw the first time I saw Donald, I was like, that dude's going to be famous. Right. And it was great to watch it happen. You know, like all these, there's people I think who like, you're like, yup, yup, yup. And it, it made me realize that like, I was like, I represented something to a lot of the guys in the comedy scene. Are you saying something like, like, you're one of them. In yeah, a lot like of ways. I, I yeah. came to realize that a lot of people. I guess that's it. Like I feel arrogant saying it, but it actually makes me sort of uncomfortable. But I think a lot of people looked at me as like, "Oh, this is the guy who like, I'm going to be walking his path, so I'm going to watch what he's doing." Mm-hmm. For a lot of the people who started after me, okay, I think they're like, "He's like, I'm like, a, you know, I'm like an ugly dude who's like not <laughs> very good socially, right. and who I just have worked really hard to get good at it." And 
I think a lot of people identify with that. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that a lot of the people who started a couple years after me were looking towards me to be like, can you do it? Because you're the guy who were, if you can do it, we're all going to keep going. Like there's a lot of that. And that actually was one of the things that made it the best experience in my life, the show, realizing that there was this community that like believed in me. And that's obviously led to the public access show and the Gethard show stuff. That stuff all existed. But to realize like there's a whole community of people that like, trusts me and trusts my voice was great but yeah being on the set and reading a new york times article entitled the unlikely pressures of a sitcom star while sitting in a dressing room and they're telling you here's the script don't even memorize it it's being completely rewritten (laughs) right right now and then knowing we got into a rhythm with the show where i would be handed a script told don't memorize any of it (laughs) and then at the end of the day be handed another script and be and i would be told all of it's going to be changed again right then i would wake up in the morning and outside my door, there'd be an envelope with another script for the episode we were shooting that day that I was heading to the train to shoot. And I came to realize, we, it was only five or six weeks. So is this in New York? Shooting? This is in New York, Silver Cup okay. Studios in Queens. No, they did at Silver Cup. Yeah. And um, I came to realize within the first couple of weeks that I don't, I couldn't even memorize that script. When right. I would wake up at six in the morning to get on the seven train and go to seven, Silver Cup, I'd pick up this envelope and not even open it. Right. Because there'd be another script in my dressing room. And that's the one I would start memorizing when I got there that day. I'd read yeah. through the other ones, but I wouldn't right. memorize it because so much changed. And I would even know then I'd be me- I'd memorize this thing in the morning, and I'd know there would be multiple script changes handed to us right. while we were shooting. And there, as an improviser, there's something exciting about that. Sure, but there's also an element of that that's like, well, everyone's scrambling so hard, and when you're scrambling that hard, the only options are it either hits huge or it yeah. misses huge. Right. You know, yeah. so. It was really scary to read all this stuff about how. And if the press has picked the story being you, you know the press is, and that was it's like the press is looking for. It's just the same as it's it's the opposite of uh, the American mythology of the overnight success. Yeah, you know, but it's taking it now for the negative track, and where where we all know as being like doing this stuff like. It's not the case. Like, you were doing this forever. Like, you know, like, yeah, there yeah. is the element of, like, oh, you got this two days before. But you got it because you were doing this, you were doing this, you were doing this. But yeah. you also bring up an uh, something I want to ask you. As someone who played in a band for a long time, I had a, a mixed reaction to reading press about myself. Yeah. I mean, I was never above reading reviews, but there right. was a while where I just kind of um, – I wasn't as interested you're talking about getting coverage, you know, on a on a completely different level. It was uh, scary. Is it something though that you were gen- like? Are you genuinely uh, uh, interested in what these people have to say? Are you reading it with with skepticism? Like, I are read you scared? It all. I'm bad. Yeah. Like every friend I have who's actually successful is like, don't ever read anything about yourself on the internet. Right? It's hard to I not. Read everything. <laughs> yeah. I read all of it. But Google I Google News Alert set up. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I absolutely do. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I read all the comedy nerd message boards. And when they when the show pops up there, which is pretty, you know, it's rare, but it happens like, I read it all. And um, I don't know, for me, I think it's turned into a healthy thing in the sense of like, I like, I feel like so much of the stuff that I enjoy doing now that I create is about, um, being in touch with what people are saying. Like Mm -hmm. our show, I like that people can call up and say, like, this episode isn't working for me. Like people call during the show and be like, yeah, this is not the funniest one, dude. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Hopefully come back next week. Maybe we'll get you then. Like I like that. So I kind of like knowing it, but I also have like, I have some like self, like, I'm definitely, like, a submissive 
sort of like uh, masochist type. Sure. I have that in my personality. So I actually enjoy it and laugh at it. Like I enjoy anytime I put up a video knowing like, right. oh man, like if it's on college humor, I got to go read those comments because right. they're going to be brutal. <laughs> right. you know? And I love that. I kind of just, I don't know. I have like, I don't know if it's a thick enough skin or if it's like a craving for punishment. But I really enjoy it. There's a rite of passage. And there's a rite of passage for for bands. It was this. It's this website, Brooklyn Vegan. Yeah. And right. and and if you get reamed on Brooklyn Vegan, which we both have, sure. Um, it's it's this. It's like okay, you know, like you've you've generated some kind. Oh, of Oh, got reamed on Brooklyn Vegan. Yeah. Pitchfork, second lowest re- review ever. <laughs> uh, Village Voice hated us. Yeah, uh, when we got broken into in Montreal, everyone was like, I'm so glad they got broken into. <laughs> like, fuck that band. You this, wait, your band had the second lowest review ever? On I think we get for our first record, I think they gave us a 0.6. Like, I mean, I, plenty of albums have gotten zeros by this right. point. So, at like, this point, but at that point, like, it was like, we were like, it, it was, was like not even a full one. We got yeah. 0.6. Wow. Uh, it was rough. They really hated it. Wow. Uh, an insane amount, and then we kept but for six more on, years. On the flip side, my band was was Pitchfork always always Pitchfork was, darlings. was kind to us, but that didn't necessarily translate right. into like people coming to the shows. It's all bullshit. So it was <laughs> so you know after a while, you're 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 second guessing what you're doing, and you're playing again, same city a year later to the same amount of people or fewer, and it's this yeah. idea of like. You know the questioning of like no this idea of failing. Am I fa- am I here? We've lugged all of our shit here. We're playing our songs that we worked hard on that we love, and nobody right. cares. Are we lying yeah. to ourselves? Is this a glorified hobby? Does, does yeah. Toby H two O like how right. does he psych himself up? Like, how does he keep that PMA going? Because <laughs> I certainly don't get it. It's really weird talking about both music and comedy, because in my experience, both personally and seeing the people who I respect the most, who actually create the things that happen. Seems to me that almost, almost universally, it is this like balance between like you're performing. It, the whole point is to put it out and connect with the public and right. find an audience and, you know, vibe with that audience. At the same time, the only people I know who are really successful are people who in the actual process of creation do it in a vacuum. Right. Do it in a just, here's what I want to make. You know right. what I mean? And if it finds its audience, it finds its audience. So. It's a very, very odd thing that these performance-based creative um, outlets and professions inherently have this double-edged sword of like success is marked by if an audience likes them, but it's almost usually found by a complete disregard of an audience's right. opinion. Right. And it's yeah. a huge thing I've been like thinking about like just recently like, where it's like for me like the past year, year and a half, like I've been like, oh, what I've created is fine. Like, but it's it's not... Well, Great. And it's something that has come up before of like where it's like, well, you got to force yourself to create and it's in that vacuum, like what you like, what you think is fun. And because if you're trying to make a viral video, do this fucking shit, it never fucking works. Well, the other problem with that is that especially now in the age we live in, there is a whole industry uh, of Internet based uh, of, of cultural pop cultural criticism. Right. And you have websites devoted to critiquing. Literally ev- everything yeah, on television, yeah, everything on the web, right. e- and and 
and in, it's it's like this pitchfork mentality of that something is graded on a scale of one to ten or of A to F, and yeah. someone sees a grade that is completely arbitrary and 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 the opinion of one person. There's right. a website critiquing art. Yeah, right. you know, there's a website that I read regularly, and I won't say what it is. Um, but it's it's a uh, it's like a pop culture website, and they they do they have a guy who reviews shows and thing and mo- he reviews shows and movies and things like that, and at the end his byline at the end of every article it'll say this person he'll like tear up a TV show or he'll tear up a movie and then his byline is like blah 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 is a screenwriter living in Brooklyn New York and I'm like you're a screenwriter right. and you're making your living as a critic of other right. people's screenplays like. There's a part of me, and I'm not like a harsh person. I'm actually a really nice, kind person, I would like to think, at this point in my life. But I read that, and I'm like, if you're willing to tear someone apart and then list yourself as a screenwriter at the end of the article, you should fucking jump off a bridge, man. Right. You got got a bad – that's a bad Bad – like I've never met this person. I don't know that I ever will. But I'm like, that's a person who I bet within 10 minutes I would immediately be like, you you rub me the you right. seem like a bad you have bad intentions. Look, there was a period where I was person. trying to make money writing music reviews, and I was just like, after like ten or so, like, and the only way I knew how was to be funny, and by being funny, I was usually snarky about shit. <laughs> and then eventually, I was like, uh, like very quickly, I was like, oh man, I'm an asshole. And like, just I'm creating like music yeah. and just comedy, like, yeah. like using this because to make yeah, because you, not act, you're not actually reviewing the music, and, right? And I'm just you're, being you're, a telling jokes. You're spending 15 minutes writing, destroying something that someone spent however long creating. Right. You know, it would takes you, however long to write a record review, but yeah. how long does it take to make the record? Right? How often would you find yourself saying stuff that you knew was funny that didn't actually reflect your opinion of the record? Nonstop, which is why I had to stop. Yeah, like yeah. it was so like this joke sitting on the where I was like, man, I really tore iced earth a fucking new one for no real reason this record's adequate like it's fine but i don't need to be like you know oh yeah. i got this great idea here. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah it was bad it was just bad news and luckily it lasted very short because i felt like that guy yeah you know uh i'd rather be i'd rather be the creator than the yeah the problem i want to be the solution not the problem yeah i'm cobra being someone who makes your living <laughs> off of like being Criticism. yeah being someone in the middle ground between Art and the audience of the art being right. the person in the middle who's trying to like. You're a professional record store clerk. Unless you're you know? Roger like, Ebert. Yeah. Unless you're Roger Ebert. Yeah, and yeah. he gets a pass. Seriously. There, I mean, there are people in all fields who are like good enough at what it is that it is in it's in and of itself is a right. craft that they're. There's they're a period when it was it was music reviews, but with knowing like I mean, and film reviews definitely of like knowing fucking yeah. movies. They know the history of movies. It's not the goal isn't to tear down. The goal isn't to write something uh, based on an internet culture of like fucking with people. Yeah, exactly. You're fucking. You're trying to find things. You're giving like a legitimate opinion, like, and you could respect it. That's that's shifted. It's it's yeah. harder to find. So okay, Have you guys ever yeah. watched Anvil, the documentary? Yes. Oh yeah. That's like this conversation keeps reminding me of that. Yeah, the commitment of <laughs> Anvil. Well, uh, I feel not, a lot like Anvil right. in my career. But but we should, the, uh, the better to, version is Last Days Here, the story about Pentagram. Oh, that's right. Watch that's that. Not, I don't know because word. Pentagram's a legitimate. Like Anvil, I think is fine. Pentagram's one of my like I love that band, but it's another like. This band should have been huge, but he fucked himself. Pentagram over, is it, the ensign to Anvil's H two O. Like okay. if, yeah. if 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 the if the Anvil documentary is this uns is this it's like people up. loved it. You can't stop it. it. We said we back. Would, we did. <laughs> but uh, rather than dwell, like you know, we've been we've been in the muck and mire for a right. little bit. Yet you have this 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 uh, the IFC. Yeah, thing coming. things are looking good. 
They are. Yeah, IFC has given me a deal to write a script based on a book that I wrote, which is really nice. And then they... It's the book called, I just got today. Oh, nice. I hope you mm, like it. I hope so, too. Um, and yeah, there it's like this thing where they're having me write the script, and then there's all this marketing stuff involved, web content and hosting stuff on their network and interviewing people at festivals on their behalf. And the goal is it's almost sort of like a residency in the sense that like marketing stuff pays a decent amount, and a right. script deal pays okay. Right. But between the two of those things, I don't have to work. Like, if I don't book any gigs for the next year, I'll be fine just through working for IFC. Like, I can eliminate a lot of the need to scramble. Sure. In in terms of booking gigs, are you talking about just commercial work and? uh, Yeah, the commercial. I stopped. I stopped auditioning for commercials a while ago. Once I started getting like, uh, more like the legit. Film, TV, acting. Legit is being the industry term, not, sure. not my job. Sure. But that, like, that started to take focus. And also, like, the commercial thing burned me out real fast. If anything went against, like, my punk right. side, it's the idea of, like, you walk into a room to promote a product right. that you probably don't, you don't always believe in. Right. And you're being judged a lot on how you look. Like, all those things are things that I just grew up not being into. Right. Like, commercialism and uh like surface level judgments of people and that is and it's not like a complete critique of the industry i made a lot of my living over the years by doing commercials and i appreciate it all but when i had the chance to sort of phase that out i was sure Mm -hmm. i was happy to do because i was burnt out it's it can get demoralizing and a lot of i mean there's been a few commercials i've done that i'm actually proud of but hundreds and hundreds of auditions that were pretty demoralizing and I, i just i'm not built for it really so um, it's only so many times you go in and they go, great, take your shirt off, uh, and exactly. yell like a party animal. Yeah. All right. That's it. I Bye. Mean, dude, you have no idea. My, no, that, I've, I've done three to four cause I don't do that shit, but I only do them if they call me in, uh, yeah. from looking at the performer page and they're like, we need a Seth Rogen yeah. style. Yeah, and the totally. last one I did was like, ran there sweating and, and had just started this ridiculous tattoo on my arm and immediately they're just like, Hey, yeah, uh, take your shirt off and just come in screaming with a beer. <laughs> and then, and then I, I went, Ugh! and that was it. And I went, well, that the, the role you were born my to play. Best one, yeah. My worst commercial audition was there's one where I was home writing and I, you know, I do write a lot, but it, just like everybody, like there's days where you sit there and you don't sure. write a word. And there was a day I was like getting so much done, really feeling good. And my agent called, she's like, the, these guys, they want to see you. Um, they need you there right now. They say they think you'll be perfect for this. And I get on the train, go from Flynn Queens at the time. All the way from uh, Woodside, Queens, down to uh, like Houston and Varick, which you guys know, like that's yeah, like, that's a, a It's a fucking it's like trek. a forty minute trip right there. Yeah. I go in and I get in there, like oh, the girl at the desk, like Chris, yeah, we're glad we can make it. We're glad you can make it. We were really hoping to get you in here for this. I'm like, cool. Where's the script? Oh, there's no script for this one. I'm like, all right. She's like, yeah, they'll explain inside. So they bring me in, and there's two guys in there, and the main guy goes, uh, all right, so we don't need you to say anything. We don't need you to make a facial expression. We don't need you to react at all. Just stand totally still. And keep your face totally still. I'm going to say action. I'm going to film you. This other guy's going to throw Cheerios at your face. <laughs> and he's like, action. And I just stood there, like stone-faced, with Cheerios just bouncing off my face. And after like 10, 15 seconds of it, they're like, and cut. Thank you. Right. I was like, thank you. I, like You always say thank you and walk out of the room. Yep. And I've told this story. Like I do stand-up. I tell the story sometimes where I would say, and it's true, like, I walked out of the room, I got back on the train back to Queens and had like a panic attack because all I could think about just on the one train back up towards Times Square, I immediately, I was just like, my grandfather left Ireland right. when he was 18 years old so his family could have a better shot at life than he had. <laughs> and then like 
He came here in 1928. <laughs> and in like 80, relatively, that's pretty short. That's like in the grand scheme of human time, 80 <laughs> years. It's a blink of an eye. I'm letting an asshole throw Cheerios at me. <laughs> yeah. Not even for money. For the hope that maybe I'll get money. And it was not even a Cheerios commercial. Right. It like, didn't even make logical sense. It was the worst. It was the worst. So in keeping with that, you've, you've, you've done a lot of these crummy gigs. question that we ask all of our guests is, what do you think of the word gig? gig. What do I think of the word gig? I like it. I don't know. I don't have much. I feel like, I, did you ever read the book Gig? No. Immediately no. think of that. It's, uh, it's good. It's a, this book, Zach Woods actually gave it to me. It's just like interviews with like 50 different people about their jobs. Oh, and that's like a that book I'm very huh. fond of. It's just like, Hey, I wonder what it's like to be a flight attendant. Right. Turn to that yeah. chapter. Oh, they all, there's like apparently a weird neighborhood in Queens that's all these. Up at the airport or something? Oh, that makes sense. It's just like these weird like apartments that all the flight attendants rent, and they have like four or five beds in each one, and then they all just, because JFK and LaGuardia, they just all go stay out in like (laughs) Hugh Gardens or like one of those weird neighborhoods that you've heard of and that never, ever goes to Hugh Gardens. Forest Hills, Hugh Gardens. Forest Hills, like, you know, out in Ramon's territory. But I'm like, oh, that's a weird thing. I guess it like, so gig makes me think of that, like. Did you call, sh- like, growing up going to see bands play, were they gigs? Were they They were shows. shows. Right. They were shows. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think that's probably, musicians probably. That's the main, gigs, that's so. where this originally, you know, we've asked yeah. everyone and it's come from that. Because, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, we get different answers. If it's just a straight comedian, less of an issue. It's most, it's and more, it's most, mostly, yeah, no it's, problem It's the same it. deal, especially if they're musicians from a punk uh, background, it's you know. always I show. have a question for you guys as yeah. musicians. Yeah. Because this is something, when you're talking about worst gigs, I think about my worst stage shows. How do musicians feel about playing Philadelphia? I hate Philly. You do? Right, yeah. Because I feel like comedians, more and more, it's becoming a place where there's like... Good or bad. Like, my, I think my two worst stage experiences were in Philly. Right. And uh, then like that Bill Burr video of him getting heckled. Yeah, with the Opie and Anthony song. I would, I would say yeah, Philly's got a fucking... Reggie Watts has a story about Philly It depended. Them. It depended on the venue for us. Like I, I had, we had some good shows in Philly, but if it was just us playing, right. the problem is it was one of those things where Philly is still, it's, it's so close that like, yeah. it's, it's always a day thing and it's just like, or it becomes or a schlep the last and day of the tour. Yeah. So you're it's just, just like, like so you're never home. really in the mindset like, all right, Philadelphia. Sean Agnew, like, who books there is one of the best bookers. Does he book uh, that church? Yeah. Yes. He books yeah, R5 that, productions. Cool shows he was there. our tour manager for he, uh, one tour. Sean's he, the best. He, like, R5 I mean, all the, awesome. I, R5's awesome. I went and saw, dude, he got the marked men. Do you know the marked men? Yes. The Texas, the to play F. They are a great, talk about like, pop punk in 2000. And, oh, right. or whatever, yeah. and then all this Canadian stuff too. You yeah, know, like uh, Steve Adamick and the Sonic mm-hmm. Avenues. Mm-hmm. Biggest stuff. problem with Philly Great is they got a chip on their shoulder. They've yeah, got man. a chip on their shoulder because they're not New York. Because yeah. they're trying. And they desperately, don't want to admit that. Yeah, and they they're trying desperate. I was talking about this at Bandbox mm-hmm. last night. They're trying desperately to make it the sixth borough, um, and that they're constantly talking about like who needs New York. I got everything I need in Philly. I'm surprisingly in New York a, a large amount. All I'm like, going to say is that Sean Agnew still owes us our buyout from when we played the church in 2007. <laughs> He'll give it to you. On that note, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, Chris, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you, Thank you. Uh, on the show. We talked yes. about all these bands I haven't thought about. <laughs> That's it. what it's all about. And I have three words for you okay. before we leave. Any idea? What these three words are. <laughs> what would these three words be? Is this like a standard thing or is this? It's, it's pretty it's standard. standard. But it's always a unique thing. The three last things that that are going to be uttered on the show today. 
Um, hold on, let me think. All Maybe right. it's. I would love uh, if you could guess this bullshit. <laughs> If, it's, if you're saying it's based on a punk rock thing, then maybe it's uh Nope. You're on the wrong No, no, wait, no, no, yeah, East Bay Ray? Is it, what is it? Is it yeah, East Bay Ray? Close. <laughs> every show by wait. saying East Bay Ray. East Bay Ray. <laughs> Close. Get home safe. Oh, that's good. That, I'll take that. Sure. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, man. That was great. Real punk rock. Get home safe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just look it out for people. Worst gig ever. Oh,